Hi, everyone, and welcome to Contra Pulse. This is Julie Valamont. Today, we speak with Kate Barnes, a mainstay of the Contra scene for decades. Her piano stylings are legendary, and she also plays flute and guitar. Kate has played in many seminal bands over the years and appears on over 70 recordings. Kate plays for many styles of dance in addition to Contra dancing and is also well known for playing in the English country dance band Bare Necessities. She has written books about contra piano, English country dance music, couples dance music, and more. On the contra stage these days, you can find her with the improvisatory contra band Latter-day Lizards and a bunch of other combinations. Kate is the 2020 recipient of the CDSS Lifetime Contribution Award. Kate was selected in recognition of many years of performance and teaching at CDSS programs, the international importance of her publications, her generosity of spirit when running music workshops, and her contributions to current and future communities. It was wonderful to speak with her about her beginnings in contra dance piano, her experiences over the years, and her thoughts as a diverse musician. Barnes and welcome to ContraPulse. Thank you. Honored to be here. I am so happy to have you here. The honor is really all of ours. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I like giving people weather updates at the beginnings of these interviews That's good because I don't really know what it's like outside. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We're again on my porch. It is now like 85 and humid and beating down sun, but we're in the shade uh, and uh, we'll make the best out of the weather today. Um, and I'm so glad to see you here. I haven't seen you for months. I know. I think the last time I saw you was in Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Oh, remember dance weekends? Uh, vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, you're someone who's playing, I've known for years, like when I learned how to play contra piano, you were one of the people who was my biggest inspiration. You know, I was dancing. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was dancing in Boston at the Scout House, and I went to the Yankee Ingenuity Dance every week. And then I spent a lot of time with your book, Interview with a Vamper, ah. which has a lot of fun things in it. I mean, I, like, photocopied things and cut them out and brought them to the practice room and did things like that. So. Wow. When was this? Uh, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Maybe around then so it's just it's i'm so excited to sit and talk with piano about piano with you today I, ironically if i had to play if i had to sight read my transcriptions i probably couldn't do it that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> different parts of the brain for yeah, sure yeah. for sure so i would love to just hear anything you want to share about how you got started playing for contras and how how did it all happen and You've had such an interesting journey through the contra scene. It is funny. I, I got, I started as a dancer. This friend of mine in college, uh, with whom I did coffee houses on guitars, uh, had a summer place up in Fitzwilliam, New Hampshire. So he invited me to a contra dance. I'm like, my God, that sounds like a, a nerdy activity. Not that I was the coolest kid in the block anyway, but 
So I, I went and uh, I danced up in Fitzwilliam to Duke Miller, and it was, it was okay, but it wasn't great. I thought, I don't know, but he didn't show up. So the next week, he said, I'm sorry I didn't show up. I'll, I'll show up this time for sure. So I get all the way, I'll go all the way up to New Hampshire. I didn't drive. I had to hitch a ride with Ernie Spence. Hmm. Um, and that time, I think, the, it, made, it made me think that if you get someone to go to a dance twice, you've got them hooked, because I did get hooked. And then after that, I, I, I would hitch a ride with Ernie up to the Fitzwilliam dance. Um, and I would watch what the pianist was doing, because I, I started as a pianist when I was a kid. That was mm -hmm. my first instrument. And I, I thought, hey, I could do that. And this music is so great. Um, because I, if, I, if I ever wrote a tune, even before I ever discovered contranet's music, it turned out to be kind of like a reel or a polka. Mm -hmm. I just had the bent that way. So anyway, there I am as a dancer, and I'm thinking, you know, I could probably do that on the piano. And then once during the break, I sat down and played with someone, it might have been April Limber, and uh, the guy who ran the dance, Jim Kennedy, said, hey, you can play. And then he started hiring me. Oh, but the real thing that got me started was Bob McQuillan. Mm -hmm. because I was playing, I brought a flute along and used to play at the side of the hall. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. I haven't. And uh, he saw me one night there playing my flute on, on the side, shyly, and he said, you, get up here, as he would do. <laughs> so I, I was, I, I ulped, and then I, <laughs> I walked up on the stage, and he said, sit right here, and he banged his accordion in place. Now play. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did, and that was like the greatest moment of my life. And from then on, uh, I was hooked. So I, I guess I started on the flute in contranance music and then moved to the piano later. Yeah. How old were you? Like, what, what decade was this when this was all Well, this happening? would be summer after the freshman year in college. So 71, 72 maybe. Yeah. So that's like a time when your life is normally changing a lot anyway, but this was probably actually life-changing for you. It was, it was. Looking at how your life has gone now. Yeah, I'd be a, a badly paid uh, coffee house singer by now instead of a badly paid contra dance musician. <laughs> Lucky for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for me, I guess. Yeah, so you started playing piano then, and who was the piano player there? Do you know who yeah, was? Um, Sometimes Mac would play the piano, but more often he was on accordion. Mm -hmm. And there was another, the, a woman named Janet Paoletti, P-A-O-L-I-T-T-I, who was a piano player. And mm -hmm. often she and this fiddler, Roger Pennard, would play. And it was a great classic New England sound. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then... Did you have other influences when you were learning? Or did you just kind of make it up as you went? Did you watch I kind of made it up. I knew how to do umpa mm -hmm. because after listening to Lester Flat of Flat and Scruggs. Wow. Yeah. That's where I got my basis in the, the basic boom chick feel and the importance of bass runs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Your left hand is, <laughs> is a creative beast. <laughs> Wow. So then you started playing in Boston? 
at some point? Yeah, I, I was playing up in Fitzwilliam and once Donna Hines, back then, she's Donna A. Bear now, mm-hmm. she heard me play and said, oh, I'm starting a dance in the fall in Boston. It was the, uh, the Brimmer and May Contra dance. Mm-hmm. This might have been 77. And uh, she said, I'd love you to come and play piano. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, oh man, a gig. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that fall I started playing at the Brimmer and May Contra. I, I would alternate. Actually, I think it might have been at the Y in Cambridge in Central Square back then. And I would alternate with Tony Parks on piano. Right. Who I gotta say also was one of my huge early influences. Absolutely. Tony's piano style is great. Yeah. It's a very like New England style. And I really love I that think of it as kind of French Canadian esque. Well that's true. Maybe that's what I think of as the New England style. I just mean it sounds traditional. It doesn't sound like jazz chords and hits and syncopations everywhere, but maybe Is it what does my style sound like? Oh, gosh. Your style sounds like everything. <laughs> but I think, I think your style is rooted in New England playing, probably. Yeah, like, it's rooted in Oompa, but it goes, way, it goes all over the place wherever your whims tend to go. Yeah. Well, when I started, it was always the case that there was just one rhythm player. Uh-huh. So I really had to hold down the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. How did that change your playing? Well, it made my left hand pretty dominant. Yeah. And it, and it made me know that if you ain't got rhythm, baby, you ain't got nothing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, to quote a legendary contra pianist, uh, Kate Barnes, I think it's <laughs> better to play the right thing at the wrong time. No, wait, I said it wrong. Ah! <laughs> to, wait, we're going to yeah, edit that out. Better to play out. the wrong thing at the right time than the right thing at the wrong time. It's better to play the right thing at the wrong time. No, it's not. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> better to play the wrong thing at the right time than the right thing at the wrong time. Yeah. Yes. Somebody quoted you uh, as saying that, and it's very true. The quote I usually get back of mine is, Oh, I love it when you stop playing <laughs> regarding rhythm breaks. <laughs> right. They never say, oh, we love it when you come back in, do they? <laughs> I know. But luckily, the crowd response does it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's implied. Right. So uh, did you, you played then in the Boston scene for many years and eventually yeah, yeah. with Bank Yankee Ingenuity, maybe that coalesced with Probably Donna and Tony. Probably until Gene and I moved to... Western Mass, so yeah, yeah, uh, I 15 years ago, whenever that was, yeah, yeah, because that was when I was a new piano player. Because I went to the last Yankee Ingenuity dance, I remember that change, mm. yeah. So now, uh, what do you play for country mostly? You have the Latter day Lizards, right? I, I and you know, various pickup things, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm very happy to be asked to sub. Uh, with moving violations. Oh, fun! Yeah, when when he can't make it. Um, yeah, Eric Eidreiner. Eric, yes, right. Yeah. I don't know things here and there. Sometimes local gigs like college freshman introduction dances, or you know, various weddings, or which I love. I love the variety. But yeah, Latter Day Lizards is my main contra dance band. Yeah, love those guys. 
It just seems like you're all having endless fun up there. Well, that was officially the beginning motto of the band, because we'd all been in bands that weren't fun. <laughs> so, so we all decided to form a new band under the premise that it had to be fun that's for, great. for all of us. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you and Dave Langford and Bill Tomjack. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes the bassist when you're yeah, often weekends. augmented by uh, Corey DeMario is our or Mark Mark Murphy, mm -hmm. our current favorites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does playing with a bass player affect things for you? It frees me up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so my right hand can do a lot more. Uh, Sometimes to the frustration of bass players because I can't wean myself away from wanting to provide a solid bass foundation even when the bass is there. Yeah. Now I will say with the band Big Bandemonium, probably the most fun band I've ever been in, um, there was a guitar player and a bass player. And, I, and that somehow that freed me up. I did all kinds of right hand stuff, which is great. I started getting into these pseudo Montuna uh, Latin-esque Oh, riffs. fun. Yeah. Those are the things that go like, ba da ba da ba da ba da Exactly, Those kind right, of syncopated, right, yeah. where they anticipate the downbeat is yeah, my favorite yeah. feeling. Do you do that with your thumb on your right hand? No, what I found uh, is you can get that perfect Latin sound, um, not the technique, but the sound, by playing two octaves apart in unison on the higher end of the piano. Okay, yeah. with both hands. You're gesturing yes. with both hands. Right. So obviously yeah. it's good to have a rhythm section doing what right. they need to do. Yeah. Right. That's interesting because when you say guitar and bass, I instantly think, oh, that is a cage. It's, and it really depends on where you want to express your freedom. Is it chordally or is it texturally? Yes, right. 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 Like, if you don't need to express yourself chordally as much, if everyone just is kind of playing the chords that go with the tune, then that gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah, and, you know, we all have mouths. We can always say, let's do this progression right? next time. We all have mouths. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of us. Right, although it's funny to watch <laughs> fiddle players talk while they fiddle. Some of them can do it, and some of them cannot. I know. Rodney Miller has gotten much better in that regard. I used to have great fun trying to talk to him while he played. That's fun. So if you were going to describe your piano style, how, how would you describe it? I, I suppose you might have said, I mean, grounded in solid rhythm, but endless variety, just to keep myself entertained. <laughs> I think boredom is an underrated creative force. Yeah, I always say boredom is the father of invention. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just the sheer number of hours you've spent on stage and trying to I know, keep it's the, things... it's the best training there is to have a regular gig. Yeah. Yeah. That and listening a lot to other styles of music. Because I think my biggest influences have been like Irish guitar players mm -hmm. and uh, blues pianists. Yeah. Because there weren't a lot of pianists around when I was starting. Just Mac, pretty much. What did the other bands have? Did they have guitar or what other bands just were there all then? the same piano player or how did that work? There weren't a lot of bands then. Yeah. It was mostly a pickup thing. I can't answer that question because I don't know 
who another band around the early 70s right. would have been. Right. But even like in terms of pickup groups, did most of the dances you went to have piano players at them? Yeah, yeah. It was rare to find a guitar player. Yeah, yeah. that was what I thought. Yeah, now it's not that way anymore. Yes, the, the tide has turned. Which is unfortunate because the piano is such a great arrangement instrument. It's like you can do so much great arranging on the fly because of its massive power in the bass end. And also all the, all the right hand high stuff you can do. While a guitar is a little more limited in range. Mm -hmm. So that you can do things that then steer the group that you're playing with. Exactly. exactly. You have a lot of power. As a piano player. Don't you feel that as a piano player? Yes. Yeah. I try to wield it responsibly. <laughs> of course. Of course. But if you have to run roughshod, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there are, there's a lot, it's got this tone that carries very well in a dance hall. It's yeah. It's like a, a fuller tone than most guitars have, just the way the notes are created. Right, right. And the biggest dynamic range, and because it's a percussion instrument, it can be very rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I wish I could do on the piano is having the rhythmic variations that strumming can do, like that kind of chuggy yeah, engine I know, of strumming. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is why I'm a big fan of piano plus guitar together. I love yes, it. Yes, I know. I know what you mean. Fills a nice hole in there. I try to fill that with inner voicing, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you do that? Is that like a third hand thing with your thumbs, or is that just... Yeah, it's, it's your, your right hand thumb and sometimes index finger are part of the downbeat and the rest of your hand gets the offbeat chord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that sense you can really do three things at once. Yeah. Your yeah. left hand. And, and it's a nice kind of a tenor line in the middle of the arrangement because mm -hmm. no one else is there really. Right. Yeah. And where your thumb sits it's usually around like the middle C or the A below it in that range which is usually a little bit below the fiddle tune. Yeah, I'd I'd go as low as like an F sharp below middle mm -hmm. C. Yeah. Mhm. Mm so it doesn't really get in the way of the tune that much. Hopefully. <laughs> you can ask the melody players what they think. Right. <laughs> oh, well, somebody told me the story of when they would play with fiddlers if they took their right hand above much above middle C, the fiddle would go over and slam the piano cover Yes, on their I think keys. that was John Campbell, this Cape Breton piano player. Yeah. Like, get <laughs> out of my way. I know, I if know. If you play above here, I will chop off your fingers. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> wow. How do you think your style has changed over the years? Uh, it's funny, jeez. Well, I think when I started, I was, I mean, McQuillan was my model, so I, I pretty much tried just to do that. And I think what then, then syncopation crept in, probably due to the Irish guitar influence. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my bass runs got more and more ornate, and then I discovered the boogie-woogie bass run. You know, da-dum-pum-pum-pa, you know, one, three, five, six, flat seven, and back down. Mm-hmm. Um... Jeez, I learned about rhythm breaks, uh, playing up high and leaving the bass alone for a while, or laying out altogether. Now my thing is, I think, a lot of syncopated right hand chords, while just doing a simple drone in the in the left hand. And th these are all as, as kind of breaks from the 
normal rhythm, which I also try to maintain with a good bass line. So what would some of these syncopated rhythms be like? Mm. So they're really like little motifs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever take solos? Yeah, once in a while. Once in a while. A little uncomfortable doing that, but yeah, more and more, I think. Yeah. Because, hey, at my age, what the heck? I got nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> like, soloing is an art all in itself. Right, right. But soloing is also, it's also like accompaniment in a way where a lot of solos, especially as a, for beginning soloists, they're just combinations of riffs and licks and things that you play. Well, isn't that what tunes are anyway? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, you're just the the interesting thing is how do you combine them in novel ways? Right. And it's like how we talk, you know, we're talking using common phrases. We're not trying to reinvent new phrases every time we say something. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh so, you know, soloing can be mystifying, but but to get to that place where you feel like really inspired, like you've really said something. Yeah. That's a different place. Yeah, I feel that maybe 1% of the time. Uh, do you feel inspired when you play? Like, what, when do you feel inspired? I, I always, I used to ask, uh, when do people feel inspired? But then I talked to someone who says that they, their, their brain doesn't work via inspiration at all. Wow, who is that? Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but my dear fiddler bandmate Noah Van Nordstrand. Oh yeah. His brain doesn't—he doesn't get like quote unquote inspired. Wow. He's just always the same amount of great. Yeah. And <laughs> you can—he responds. So like, if I play something, he'll react to it, and that sounds really inspired. But like, I have days when well, I'm inspired and Isn't not that inspired. Inspiration. I mean, come on. Well, right. It's yeah. interesting, but I have days when I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling creative today. Or I am feeling really creative today. And he doesn't have those oscillations. Hmm. He's always the same amount of creative, unless his mood or body isn't, you know. Well, I, I, have, I don't have periods where I feel creative, but it's more like I do get inspired by some, usually something someone else in the band is doing. But also the crowd, if they're into it, that's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if I discover a new way to do something, that inspires me. Because mm -hmm. I, I really, I don't like playing unless I'm working on something. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. You want to feel like it's, uh, yeah. It's like constant on-the-job training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you also play for other kinds of dancing as well, quite a y bit. Yeah, right. I was thinking, though, there have been several times in my career when I thought, man, this music is really boring. Uh -huh. and, I, and I get bored, and then it's like, God, what am I going to do? I can't do anything else. Uh, and then I discover some new technique or a new sound or a new progression, and then I, you know, I, I milk that for all it's worth, and it keeps me going. Yeah, because you can get an idea, but... I'm really into getting an idea and then trying to take it like as deep as possible. Mm -hmm. Like just explore the hell out of it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because I don't get that many ideas. I don't know. Or just <laughs> maybe an idea worth having is exploring is worth exploring to what I find to be its end. 
It's like uh, when I go to a foreign country and I learn one word, I will fucking use that word everywhere <laughs> <laughs> because it's so gratifying. Right. Yeah. Right. And it inspires you to learn more. Yeah, it's your first step. And that's the great thing about bandmates is that when you have an idea, they can help take it deeper and they can add their own take Absolutely. on that idea. Absolutely. And then everyone feeds on everybody else. Yeah, both the lizards and bare necessities are good that way. In fact, I don't think I belong to any band where improvisation isn't the modus operandi of the band. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't well, like it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of your language and just your way of operating. So that makes sense. I mean, it's always fun dancing to your music because you just never know. It's like dancing to a constantly streaming river of ideas. <laughs> this is why the lizards rarely play more than one tune. We, we don't do medleys very often. Right. Because we have so much fun just bringing every last bit of fun out of a tune. Right. And if you had a second tune, you probably would just kind of never get to it. Like, yeah, that's, that's what frequently happens. <laughs> Where can I go? So I have to ask you a big question, but maybe I'll ask you a smaller question. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious, like, how do you think the contra scene has been changing in the years that you've been in it? Well, when I started, it was very much a like a village affair. People of all ages went. Um, yeah, so so you know there were old people, young people, kids, all kinds of people, and this is true up until. I don't know, maybe the 80, 1980 or something. And there started to become this movement among people my age at the time where it became much more focused on the dance and less on the community experience, at least from the view of the band, it seemed that way. Mm -hmm. And so the age range narrowed. Uh, and that's also when a lot of bands started up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's related or not. So the feeling of the feeling of the dance changed. It and off, sometimes it would feel, I think Todd Whittemore would echo this sentiment, like people were just going to the gym, like an exercise thing, mm -hmm. because a dance would end and bang, people would be booking the next dance. There's very little talking or socializing. This is not to say that outside the dance scene these people didn't get together, but. Being an incredibly shy introvert, I never would have known about that. Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. I remember when I first started dancing in the Boston scene, I didn't know that booking ahead was a thing that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, not coming from this, not having done anything like this before where you had to ask for partners, I'd often just end up sitting out, and then I would finally work up the courage to ask someone to dance, but I would go onto the floor to find a partner and everyone just all disappeared into all their different directions mm. because I didn't realize they were already booked ahead. So my uh, experience yeah. as a dancer was I would walk onto the floor and everyone parted away from me Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. and all went to find their own partners. Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird. And if it weren't for a few folks who would dance with me, I don't think I ever would have learned to dance, which would have meant I would never learn how to play for dancing. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, Bob Fuller was somebody who always would ask me to dance at the mm -hmm. Scott House, and he basically taught me how to dance. Every Thursday he would dance with me, and he didn't care if I messed up, and that was really a gift. So do you know, like, what circumstances were happening around that shift, or what might have... I think, I think contra dancing got really popular among that age group. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that changed how people were acting on the dance floor? Yeah, yeah. It, it became much more about the, the dance and people would be more, you know, people would get bored if they did a dance which was like the previous one or something. I mean, when I started, the program was pretty set. Every, every day, every dance, there'd be Money Musk after the break. And there was, there was a certain cycle of dances that Duke Miller would go through every week. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was fine. It was great. And it, 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 it allowed us all to kind of socialize with each other more. Mm -hmm. yeah. And nowadays, choreographers, I don't know if it's true lately, but every dance had to have a partner swing and a corner swing in it. It became about the swinging. Mm -hmm. And also musically, bands... Uh, you know, they got more and more complicated with their arrangements and uh, started adding more and more members. And I think somewhere in the 80s or maybe 90s, the groove phenomenon happened where, you know, people would, it was less about banging the rhythm in and more about a very even, I'm sure you know what I mean by mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Which is, which I'm not casting aspersions on because that's fine. We do that too, but. It was definitely a change in the, in the approach. Do you think that changes how people relate to each other on the dance floor? I don't know. How, why would it? Tell me. Well, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Like, I, I, I always wonder, partly what I'm interested in is, does the kind of music affect how we dance and how we relate to each other as a community? That's interesting. I, I haven't thought about that. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have data. I'm a scientist at heart. So, well, not at heart, in mind. I'm a scientist in mind <laughs> and a piano player at heart. So I d we don't have data about it, but I just wonder. It seems like there's this phenomenon that happened where there's this blossoming of choreography and a lot of innovation in choreography. There's also a lot of this innovation in musical styles and arrangements mm -hmm. and more bands and less pickup bands which is what facilitates all these arrangements. Yeah. And then also some of these things happening on the dance floor where the, the reason that people are dancing is a little bit different. Well, that'd be a great paper. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they all feed each other, you know? Yeah. When there's more complicated choreography, then the callers have more requests of the bands. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember, like, as a new band starting out, my first contra band, we're like, okay, we have to make sure we have some slinky jigs. Okay, we need some rags and we need reels. And like, you have to be able to play eight different genres as a contraband. Yeah, yeah. And then a hombo at the break. I didn't know how to play a hombo. <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> well, the sad thing is when I started, there were all kinds of couple dances done at the break. Mm -hmm. You know, Varsuvian and the Gay Gordons and um, I don't know, all kinds of things. Boston two-step. Uh, and then David Kaner popularized the hombo and that became like, the dance at the break. Is that where that came from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a fun dance, but I... If you can do it. Right. It's not, <laughs> not the most a very beginner-friendly yeah. dance. 
And so when you have new people at your dance, if that's the only couple at the dance, you can accidentally leave people out. Right, right. Although it is just fun to watch. Yeah. And it's a yeah. good excuse to stand around and talk to your neighbor if you can't dance it and you're looking at the people who are. It's true. I'd rather do a sweet fucker. Oh, sweet fuckers. <laughs> For those listeners who don't know, a sweet fucker is kind of like a waltz, but with different amounts of... Uh, it's like you have waltz and pivot steps, so they're not always in three. How would you describe a zwi fucker? Just like that. Okay. It's like a you da 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 dum da dum bum bum bum. So that's two measures of three and two measures of two. Yeah. Two waltzes and then two pivots. Da 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 ba dum bum bum. Yeah. Delightful. And they can get very thorny the arrangements. Would uh would they post? the format of the Zwiefacker somewhere? Or Usually. The, like a caller wouldn't have a card with the, the formation written on it. Or just say it verbally beforehand if it's not too complicated. I remember the Versuvian, I had never seen it danced before. And it's funny because these are the things that you kind of came up dancing yeah, at yeah. all your dances. Yeah. And then at Main Fiddle Camp last year, Sylvia Misko taught it to our accordion oh, class. Oh, cool. And so we all played the tune, and then we danced it with our accordions on. It was very sweet. That's great. That's great. I would love to bring some of these things back at some of our dances. You yeah, know? me too. Me too. Yeah, I was talking with Arthur Davis in a previous interview about like how evolution happens and innovation happens, and it's not always intentional. It's just accidental. Sometimes we just sort of stop doing things, and nobody knows why. Well, don't you think if you do something too many times you're gonna if you're worth your salt at all you're gonna come up with some other thing to do right yeah we all love in other new words things. boredom is the father of invention right yeah right we all love new things and we all are like like now it's like and you can watch it happening like the humbo was the cool and exciting thing but now it's like slang polska or oh, yeah. doing french dances at the break or yes, mazurkas right, or right. borets and exactly. those are the things like ooh, we're doing this at the break now it's very cool and then someday those would be the institutionalized boring things. Oh, I got to do another boray. <laughs> Here we go. I know. It's so hard. And then maybe something else will happen. This is why I think tradition doesn't really exist. Because I think musicians a thousand years ago, as well as nowadays, if they play something often enough, they're going to find a way to change it and make it more fun for themselves. Mm -hmm. So saying that this is the way they did it at any certain time is a little dicey mm -hmm. because I think musicians are always innovating. Well, the good ones anyway. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the ones who complain about a new sound or a new tradition are often not the best musicians. Mm. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail about that one. Well, this is a place of conversation. There's no right or wrong in contrapulse, it's just ideas. <laughs> Hang on to that naive attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Until I get the emails. <laughs> well, that's what I strive to create. So that's my out. Yeah. I can just tell people, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's worth considering these things. I mean, I think if you, if you aren't innovating, if you're not one of the ones who is, then it can feel threatening when things change. Oh, Absolutely. Or you might actually just prefer it the way it was, and you might not like the innovations and the directions they're going in, which I think is legitimate. In Good thing, because I, I kind of feel that way. I mean, 
I would adapt my style to whatever the current fad was. Mm-hmm. Um, and lately it's like, ah, forget it. I like my style. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now I have, a, I have the luxury of being old and a little established so I can have that attitude. Yeah. I think if I were younger, I'd feel like I better adapt or sink, you know? Right. I mean, there is this thing. It's like, I feel like the Contra scene isn't the most competitive scene, and mostly it's very cooperative and community-based. Mm-hmm. But I think bands do feel like they have to differentiate themselves and prove themselves, especially if they want to get on the, the nationwide dance weekend circuit. Yeah, that only makes sense. You know, you have to kind of have a sound, and a, almost kind of a certain kind of sound. There are some very good bands that don't get hired because they don't have whatever these dance organizers and dancers want for a dance weekend. What do they want? Novelty? Excitement? I don't know. Yeah, novelty, excitement. So it's a good band. You're talking about a good band that doesn't have excitement? Well, it's more of a modern sound versus a more traditional sound. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think. Where would you put the lizards in that category? Uh, I think you're kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're all very good at what you do that's special because your roots are in traditional, but it's so improvisatory. That's magic. And there aren't many bands that do that style anymore. I think a lot of the hmm. Dance Weekend bands are more about arrangements. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's another popular band whose name I won't mention. They arrange everything before they go on tour, and they pretty much play, play the same program every gig. Yeah. It's like we would die if we had to do that. Right. Yeah. And I just think, how can you adapt to the moment? Like, my favorite thing as a musician is creating a unique moment uh-huh. with that caller and those people in that hall yeah, at that yeah. time. And if you're coming in, every time, I, when we were newer, especially callers would want to pre-program with us. And because we didn't have a lot of repertoire, we would happily do it. But it never feels right, you know, because you can't. Put things in the order that they feel right and you can't read the hall and decide what yeah, it wants yeah, to do yeah and like there's just a lot of instinct of like like when i play a buddy system i pick all the tunes because noah doesn't uh-huh his brain is like no yeah, thanks he never gets inspired well his brain is different <laughs> right i'm glad i'm interviewing him later everyone uh who heard me talk about noah please don't take it literally let's hear it from him and we'll wait a few <laughs> weeks for my interview with noah to be continued and we'll explore his brain but I think, like, there's some people who don't know how their brain works. They just play. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to be able to explain, which is why all, not all great musicians are good music teachers, because right. they can't always put into words what they're doing absolutely. and being able to break it down. And then there's people like me who are, like, overly verbal <laughs> 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 and can verbalize everything they're thinking and doing, much to the detriment of everyone around them. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know how analytical I tend to get about my own playing. I think Lao Tzu, the, uh, the Taoist philosopher, said, if you examine too mu- something too much, it'll die. I've always been worried about, well, if I look at it too closely, will the magic disappear? Right. Well, that's something I should keep in mind in this podcast, for sure. It's not a scientific... It's like, this isn't... Uh, it's not a musicological study. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting stories and interesting conversations yeah. and personalities. Um, 
Do you have favorite moments that you can remember on stage over the years? I know there, I can't, I like your website, at least it used to, I haven't been to it in a while, but your website used to have all these great gig stories oh, yeah, and yeah. gig horror stories and yeah, everything. Right, but, right. but do you remember some just great moments when you are feeling like, so yes. You don't remember the great moments, not the horrible moments. Yeah, right? Like <laughs> when you're like, I love this. Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot when, when everyone on the band, everyone on the stage seems really in sync and you're putting and people are into it and and the rhythm is spot on and I'm able to do a lot of improvisatory stuff. It's like, man, I I just love those moments. It's like just totally in the in the pocket. Yeah. Sometimes the losers are lucky enough to play with both like Corey and um Pokey. Oh wow, that's yeah. a rhythm section. I know, and it's awesome. I mean, it really changes the band. We have to adapt to it, the sound of a drum, but man, those are great moments. So this is Corey DeMario on bass and Pokey Mark Hellenberg on drums. And I mean, Pokey <laughs> has been like the number one drummer, like the contra dance drummer for so long. The only contra dance drummer? There's a few others, yeah. but he's definitely like the, the most... Uh, Ubiquitous? Is that? That's oh not man, a... he flies somewhere fifty-two weeks a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he lays down the pokey groove. No, no drummer does anything like it. Yeah. Too many drummers make it sound like a Sousa march. Oh, interesting. And he he also is someone of constant variety. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Do you feel like he'll follow you on your? Yeah, we follow fancy? each other. Yeah. 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 A lot of in jokes as well. <laughs> well, he literally has a lot of bells and whistles, and so do you in your playing. So it seems like a good uh, stylistic match. Uh, our, our favorite thing to trade back and forth on stage is ethnic musical stereotypes, <laughs> <laughs> which I won't go into, or you'll get more hate mail. But <laughs> I mean, you're the you're the kind of person who slips in a lot of quotes while you play. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, I got I. I was inspired to do that by this pianist, Phil Merrill, hmm. who um, was one of the early English dance players, who was a great guy, very funny, and was always slipping quotes into his backup playing. He used to play organ for silent movies. Wow. Yeah. What a fun I have a picture job. of him on my wall. Really? Yeah. Still? Yeah. Him and Mac and Helena Cornelius. Are in a picture together on your wall? No, that would be that would be a rare <laughs> meeting indeed. <laughs> yeah, who were your other like influences or idols as you were learning? Um, geez, I can't think of the names because uh, it's more like the bands, Planksty, early Irish band, mm -hmm. uh, the rhythm section for Sharon Shannon, the Irish accordion player. Mm. Uh, of course, Lester Flat of Flat and Scruggs. Any blues player. Um, I think I'm really, and people have said this, that I'm very gospel and blues influenced in my style. Mm -hmm. It could be because I grew up as the son of a minister listening to hymns every Sunday. Hmm. Yeah. But my, you know, my day of heaven would be the, a piano player and like, a black gospel group. It's mm. like, I love that sound. Mm. 
Me too. What was your question? I think I digressed. Uh, the, que the only point of the question was to just have you say interesting things, so it was successful. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just asking, like, tell me about some moments on stage that were exciting for you. or. Oh, yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> so many. And it's such a broad question. I can't right. really think. It happens right. almost every time I play at some point in the evening or other. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing. If it's like every time you're playing, you get those moments of spark. Yeah, sometimes it's just like the perfect moment when all the notes are falling into place and they're at the right time and people are into it. And I don't know. I live for those moments, which happen rarely, but enough to keep me coming back. the kind of tunes you play over the years changed? Like, what are the, some of your favorite tunes in, like, the Lizard's repertoire? Yeah, that changes a lot, just for me personally. I mean, of course, first it was New, the New England classic repertoire. And then, then every band, and we were no exception, and Yankee Ingenuity started doing heavily Irish-oriented repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, and also, there was a French-Canadian big boom that happened probably somewhere in the 90s. I know Donna's been into French Canadian. Yeah, yeah, for that's a long her, time. her heritage and right. her love, right? Right. And after that, I mean, we've also been inspired by popular music. We, we've always like put TV themes in and popular songs, and people love that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about Chestnuts is that you're dancing to a tune that everybody's kind of familiar with. It feels familiar. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say one of the most blissful moments in my career was playing Money Musk at the Ralph Page weekend. I think Frank Farrell and Dave Surrett were playing. Oh. And uh, we played a long time because that crowd loves it. And the caller said, stop. And I just said, no. <laughs> so we danced that dance for, I think half an hour wow! and it became kind of legendary it's like oh my god we did Money Must for half an hour and I loved it man I love that tune and Frank is a great player and Dave provides a great rhythm so I don't have to totally focus on that he he's was on, great he's on guitar yeah, yeah yeah guitar and mando yeah the rhythm of Money Musk, I find Money Musk very fun to accompany. The way the measure lengths are in the B part. Yeah, just yeah. The way the whole tune comes together. Yeah, yeah. So great. I know. The, the phrases of the dancer, they run across the phrases of the music. Yeah. Do you change how you play to emphasize, like, where the balances are? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of help. Not I've, all the time, but. Especially with the first set of the Waves of Three, I feel like I have to help it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once the dancers get it, they don't need the help anymore. But if there's people learning yeah. in the hall, I try Well, to... callers notice if you do that. Actually, the dancers notice if you do that as well. It's a, it's a, it's a big pleaser to accentuate the balances. I think that's one of the things that I gravitated to about your playing as a dancer. Like, I remember learning how to dance and being completely lost. Mm -hmm. And I <laughs> so would... So do we all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> About you, I mean. No, I just... <laughs> no. 
<laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. I was, yeah. No, uh, I, I went through that too. Yeah, I mean, it's great that everybody does, right? We all have that in common. But uh, for me, maybe because I was already a musician and I've been one for a long time, I would anchor myself to the bass lines yeah. as a piano player, as a dancer, and mm -hmm. that's how I kept my orientation. And your bass lines are phrased and varied and very melodic. Thanks. And then these gospel voicings, you know, I was a church organist. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. I started when I was 14. Wow. Doing that professionally. Well, as professional as you can be as a 14-year-old organist, I would like oversleep in the morning and show up late to church, but I did my best. <laughs> but I also enjoyed those those big open fat piano chords yeah. with like inverted sixths and like those fat oh, yeah, yeah. gospel voicings. Yeah. That's why Bruce Hornsby is one of my favorite piano players. Bruce is a great piano player with a deep well. But he also uses a lot of those gospel Oh, I gotta look him up influences. now. And his fingers are fast, fast, fast fingers. <laughs> but I had a point before I went off on this. This is it's so hot. I think my brain is just melting out here today. <laughs> I misquoted you twice with you sitting there. <laughs> Have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I know. Uh, what were we, what, why did I bring this up? Piano styles, bass lines. Thank God we can edit. Gospel influence? <laughs> oh, one of the other things that really grabbed me about your playing is the way you interact with the dancers and that you're watching the dancers on the floor and kind of playing oh, yeah, to the dance. Yeah. A lot of my inspiration comes from them. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite ways to, like, support the dancers or interact with them while you're playing? Uh, beyond, beyond the obvious one of rhythm and, and like accentuating the balances. Yeah. Um, hmm. You're asking me to be analytical about my style. Well, you don't have to be. <laughs> the nice thing is that you have already written a book about this. <laughs> So your past self may have already done a lot of the work. I recommend Thank God that, it's over with. <laughs> I recommend that everyone read Interview with a Vamber, even if you're not a piano player. I recommend that everyone buy Interview with a yes, Vamber. Yes, no. <laughs> buy it and don't read it. <laughs> just buy it. Yeah, just buy it. For God's sake. Especially this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> buy three copies and don't read any of them. <laughs> a good, clear introduction is necessary. Um, definitive endings, uh, building up and, um, you know, y you know, the ways to build up excitement in a dance. Yeah. But, um, if you're playing a tune 15 times, you can't, you can't do, they have to build them up and then let them down artfully instead mm. of having it just be a loss of energy. Mm -hmm. And what I usually do then is go high. Like high on the piano. High on droney. Yeah. Right. And then you can you know, do these waves of excitement among the dancers. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you know what tempos you play at? Do you pay attention to tempo much or is it just internalized? Uh, I know that the lizards tend to play too fast, uh, but I don't know the number. No. Yeah. You yeah. probably just get excited and go with the flow. Absolutely. And there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except on uh, what they call sexy jigs. <laughs> The ubiquitous sexy jig. Yeah. Were there sexy jigs when you started dancing? No. No. No, they were just jigs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I've noticed that some callers um, who have been calling for a long time would often come up to us as a band, and I was learning, and they would say, okay, we want jigs for this dance. And so we would, most of the times when people ask for jigs, they would ask, they would mean smooth, sexy jigs, so we would play that. Right, right. But I think they're, jigs used to being bouncy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they're right. balancy dances. And I'm like, how did that happen? The jigs became what you play for smooth and sexy. Well, I think it, it probably has a lot, because jigs, the time, 6-8, has a lot in common with blues and the mm -hmm. shuffle feel. Right, right. Um, so, if you slow it down, those kind of licks fit very easily into that pattern. Right. And then, then the, it's a natural jump to do halftime grooves yeah. because blues players do that. Ba, ba, you know, those kind of halftime grooves. Like, dum, da, dum, da, dum, yeah. ba, dum, ba, dum, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and people have written official sexy jigs. There's a few oh, of them really? in, the, in the Portland collections. <laughs> You think that adjective would be in the eye of the beholder, not the composer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had an interesting quote about tradition, um, and I'm going to misquote you again. This is a fully professional interview right now, um, but it was something like the inverse rule of tradition, where oh yes, the farther away. Would you like to? Uh, yes, it's the Barnes this? inverse law of geographical traditionalism. Yes. Or B-I... No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, which uh, is an effect I noticed uh, both with contradance music and with when I started to play English and Scottish music. Mm -hmm. um, that the Scots, for example, could do anything with their music and it, it would be slavishly followed by everyone in the States. Like Alistair Fraser is a great example. Um, he started off playing you know, in a traditional style, and he got more um, innovative as time went on. Mm -hmm. And people in the States said, well, he's Scottish, so it must be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember once uh, Rodney Miller and I were playing um, out, I think, in Seattle, probably in the 80s sometime. And uh, we took a break, and then this New England band quote came up. They said, yeah, we're going to play some New England tunes and it was so it was so traditional and so stayed uh-huh it just didn't seem to have any life at all to it because they were trying to imitate what they thought New England music was like and but we felt like we could do anything with it right yeah like like that album Airplane you know yeah. Rodney's yeah it's like we were we were quite out there on that album yeah. But, but we felt like, hey, we're New Englanders, we can do it. I don't think it was even conscious. It's like, this is our tradition. Of course we can mess around with it. Right. It's like you don't even think about tradition while you're doing it. It's just what you're doing. Yeah. You right. Know? Right. So that's the law. It's like the further away you get from the source of a tradition, the more conservative you are with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. A l I remind myself a lot of that with English country dance music. Uh-huh. Because there's definitely the do-it-right contingent here in the U.S. of like, you have to do it right. Well, well, the question is, is doing it right doing what Bare Necessities does? Right. Which is an American band. Right. Yeah. Right. But you, that's a question. It is a question. For you. Oh, you're asking me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you know, I think uh, I think it's okay for us to talk about English music because these trends happen in all these traditions. And so, well, are all the best contra figures are stolen from English anyway? So, right. Yeah. The Mad Robin and the Hay. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of organizers, when they're looking for English dance bands, their mental model is what Bare Necessities sounds like. For yeah. better, for worse. I mean, you've created this wonderful, wonderful thing. You've literally defined what American English dance music sounds yeah, and like. Yeah, for better or worse is a good way to put it because, you know, we, I think that's true. It's, it's become the right way to sound, and I think that's not necessarily a great thing. It's a great inspiration. Yeah. You know, it's just, if you hold everyone to that model, then no one else can be as good at bare necessities as bare necessities. So yeah, right. So you have to let everyone else be good at what they're going to be good at and contribute to the tradition in their own way. Yeah, and yeah, I, I would hate to imagine that we came up with a style that's so, so, you know, strictly bound that no innovation could happen anywhere with it. That's, mm -hmm. that's terrible, in my view. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've played for English dancing for years, and I love it. You know, I think as a classical pianist originally, I just was drawn to the music and mm -hmm. the variety and beauty in it. Just different key signatures and time signatures yeah, right, and, right. and the age of some of the tunes and just I the know, whole thing. I know, it's pretty cool. It's a really wonderfully diverse set of music, but it was very easy to kind of take it very seriously and get... I was terrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, the dancers, because they all know the tunes and the dances together, they would know the right dance tempo, but I didn't always. And yeah, it's a yeah. lot to learn. And then... Finally, I, I did it enough that I became comfortable with most of the common dances, and I know them by heart now, and that's a lot easier. But then, a couple of years ago, I went to England with Buddy System, and we were playing for Conscious over there, which is so fun. Yeah. I mean, they were so excited to see us, and they dance differently over there, you know? Like, their bodies move differently. Yeah, yeah. And I got to hear some of their contrabands. And they're wonderful. Yeah, yeah, lately that's true. Yeah. yeah. And they sound different from us. They yeah. feel different from us. And so, but I thought, this is glorious. I never went over there and thought, they're not doing contra right. Right, right. And then I was like, oh my God, I've been so uptight about English music. I just have to stop. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's glorious. You mean stop playing or stop trying to stop, adhere to the. Stop worrying about adhering to something when I didn't even know what my goals were. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even know what right was. I was just afraid of not doing that, whatever yeah, that yeah. was. And, you know, we don't have to be true to Playford, as, you know, it's more commonly called over there. They don't call it yeah, English right, dancing. Right. Like they call Contra American and we don't call it American. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just this wonderful thing where you take a tradition and you take it overseas. And then it becomes a new thing all on its own. And so I, I love the fact that contra dancing has spread to other countries and it has its own inflection. So where yeah. does cultural appropriation fit in with this? That's a great question. Yeah. I'm not an expert on these things. So please write if you have thoughts about this. I think... Because I, I think yeah. cultural appropriation... If, if that were enforced as much as people want it to be, no one would learn anything from anyone else. Right. And music innovation would die. I, I ha not having analyzed this, and I feel 
unqualified to really talk about this, but I think having some kind of power dynamic and even exploitation in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely a big difference. Yeah, that, yeah that's it. Is you know? that aspect of it. Like, if they're playing contra music in England, that doesn't hurt us. They're not taking our music and then profiting from it at our expense. Yes, yeah. And they're not taking the credit for it from us and pretending that they invented it. Right, right. Which a lot of American forms have done. Yeah, like rockabilly in the 50s. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. we've stolen all these things. Yeah. Blues, rock, Elvis, you know, it's all... But would we really want that not to have happened? Well, that's a deep question. Hmm. There probably was a, a better, more inclusive way to do it, at the very least. Yeah. Like, like, you know, traditions, people go to other things and they get inspired. And, you know, we are inspired by food and all these cultural things migrate all around the globe. Yeah. But there's one thing between, like, you know, taking something and profiting off of it and then making that original thing you suffer as a result versus yeah, right, right. including them. So, you know, I think it would have been great to incorporate all these forms into our own music, but maybe do it more with more inclusivity and cooperation and even permission, just like asking someone, yeah, how yeah. do you think about us doing this? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it wasn't even a thought. And it's interesting. Now we have to do some reckoning with our traditions and their history and it's it's interesting. I, I once played with J.P. Fraley. Uh, I don't know if you know that name. Classic old timey fiddler. Mm -hmm. And he was on tour up in New England. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some great group of old timey musicians brought him up. And we played a dance together. And I was on piano. Um, and he fucking loved it. Mm -hmm. um, which was which was true of anyone older I'd met. Um, you know, like real, real roots musicians. Mm -hmm. It's like they were happy to have someone innovate with their tradition. Yeah. 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 And then I think people got purists, and often it's the people who adopted this style later in life, they became purists about it. It's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And then there's often like this folk revivalist thing where something dies out of its own. Then when you bring it back, then you define what it was. Yeah, right. You know, right. like a lot of the 70s folk revival. And yeah. yeah. Even like, I'm also not an expert on Irish music, but the fact that dadgad guitar and bazooki are now so ubiquitous that yeah. they're the new traditional. Yeah, I know. Where I piano know. had a very, I get opinionated about piano things, but piano had a very traditional home in Irish music for a long time. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And even in like old time music, it's the piano has been kind of defined out of old time that's music. That's true, yeah. Yeah. But in a lot of really organic traditional music, people are playing whatever they have. Yes, absolutely. You know, you play whatever you have at your house. If yeah. it's an old piano, whatever it is. Yeah, after day's work, you go off and take the piano off the wall. and <laughs> <laughs> Tune it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> play a tune. Um, are there any other things you'd like to talk about? I will say, in this time... Um, I, th I think over the course of the years, I've griped about compensation because uh, we're in kind of a, a poor paying art form. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I've discovered during this time is that the dance community is actually incredibly generous. Yeah. Um, they're supporting all of us. And uh, there have been a lot of dance weekends that 
reimburse us even though they can't go on. And a lot of that is supported by the dancers who, even though they can't come, still contribute something. Mm -hmm. I was like, God bless this community. It's mm -hmm. the best. It's tolerant. You know, I had no trouble coming out. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very, very supportive. I love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both the English scenes and the country scenes. I think about that too. With um, if we want, we have to innovate. Like to keep a tradition healthy, you can't talk about what it was. You have to talk about what it can be. And there's just so many more ways we can be inclusive in our dances still. And you know, there's been talk about pronouns in contra dancing oh, and right, things like right. that. And I just feel like the more things we can do to make everyone welcome the better it is. Ironically, from where I sit, mm -hmm. the tendency to eliminate pronouns and dances, mm -hmm. for me, if I'm dancing the woman's role, it comes across as kind of a lack of affirmation. Interesting. It's like I used to enjoy dancing the woman's role and saying, now the ladies do this. Yeah. 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 And if that goes away, it's kind of like, well, there's that tiny bit of affirmation gone, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And so... There's a lot of different viewpoints and I know. a Some, lot of valid A lot reasons. of very strong viewpoints. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But I think, how can we really, how can we change while having a place where people feel included? Exactly. And not lose the traditions that we've grown to well, value. good luck. That's a pretty complicated task. Right. Well, that's not my problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, we do the best we can, but I feel like music is the same way, you know, like, I feel like as tempos have increased over the years, that there are some dancers who are left out. Yeah, that I've, prefer, I've heard from them. I yeah. Know. yeah. They prefer the older, slower tempos. Well, not to mention there are some musicians who are left out. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we have enough diversity in our tradition that it becomes a vote with your feet scenario. You know, if right. you want, there are wonderful gender free dances. But I'm not saying that everyone who wants to dance gender free should have to go to them. I'm not trying to imply that. But. Yeah. Which has bearing on the on innovating, like in, in English country dance backup or arrangement. It's like people will, market forces will prevail. You right. Know? Yeah. If we have a healthy enough community to support all these different varieties of things. If you only have one dance in your town, you yeah. don't have as much <laughs> yeah. flexibility. That's right. That's, That's right. what you can do. How do you think, uh, I'm glad that you've sort of mentally said, well, I'm just going to keep being the best Kate Barnes I can be on the piano. And, and not. You're saying this? I'm saying that it seems like you have decided that your piano style, like, it kind of is what it is and you don't have to try to, like. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'll stop innovating. Right. But, but it means you don't have to try to. I'm not going to try to innovate in the direction of what's currently popular. Exactly. Yeah. That's, what I'm, that's what I was trying yeah. to say yeah. badly. Again, it's very hot out here. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's really important because you're the only you. And you have. Thank all God these... for the world. <laughs> <laughs> and you have all these wonderful things to offer. Thank you. And it's really great. And I hope that the sound and style lasts for a long time. Because it's really wonderful. Well, long enough for me to pay my bills, anyway. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting being in like a. We're in a pseudo professional, like it's half folk, half professional, where we do these things for a living, but they don't quite pay us enough to really make a living from it for what we might require for a yeah, comfortable I, life. I, I've, been, I've been able to do it yeah. for 40 years now, but, yeah. you know, look at my car, 19, 
2008. <laughs> well, I guess that's what I mean. We all make sacrifices. Yeah, yeah. But the payoffs are really wonderful. Yeah, part of the it's not too much of a sacrifice, I don't think. Oh, that's great. Gene and I often look at each other, you know, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. We have a roof over our heads. We got food. Yeah. We got friends. You have a vast publishing empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ka-ching. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I was born in this state? This is my native state. In Vermont? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where? Unlike oh, almost all of my friends who live here now. Yeah. Up in Milton, north of Burlington. Oh, I don't know where that is. Yeah. What brought you to Boston? My father. He moved. So did you grow up there? Did you spend your... Uh, I moved... Uh, we moved out of Vermont when I was six. Uh-huh. Um, but we have... My parents had a summer home in Post Mills, fairly Thetford, Vermont area. And that was essentially our family home. So we were up there as much as possible. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So I hold this state dear in my heart. Yeah, and it's so close. I know. I and know. it's nice. I'm glad you were able to chat with me on your way to visit Mary Lee, another yeah, yeah. prominent Brattleboro resident. Have you been making much music lately in I this have. pandemic? Um, like I said, I, I did this home recording, which was great fun because I learned all about multi-tracking and yeah. that kind of stuff. I sent it up actually to Burlington to be mastered. Oh, Someone's great. working on the cover art. Whether CDs are still around as a viable commercial option, I don't know. But I'll probably also stream it. And, uh, you know, various little Facebook videos here and there. Yourself? Anything? No, you can't play. Yeah, I've been enjoying this podcast. Yeah, it, it's a cool, it's a great contribution. It's, it's been fun to kind of hit pause on doing things and just think about them for a little while. Yeah, like, I yeah. wouldn't ever choose to do it. Like, this is the <laughs> summer when we would all be at camps. Like, that's my happy place. I know, I know. I had seven weeks of camps booked this summer. Oh, yeah. And, you know, now I'm at home. But yeah. it's an interesting, if you make your best out of it, like, we're going through the archives and digging up old videos and old recordings. And yeah. That's yeah. also fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. I imagine. And it'll be great when we can do it again. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining well, us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so honored. wonderful to talk with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to ContraPulse. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orzakowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit contrapulse.cdss.org for more info. Happy dancing!